Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Right. If you have your Bible, take it out while the kiddos go to kids' church. You can take your Bible and open to the book of Hosea, chapter 1. We're going to be in chapters 1, 2, and briefly in chapter 3. And uh, let's see what God's Word has for us. What, as we've journeyed through the Old Testament uh, this year, the covenant relationship uh, has been clear between God and Israel since the time of Abraham where he first made that covenant to Abraham to be, uh, that he would be a blessing to the nations, that his seed would be, his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And so... Now that is realized in Christ Jesus, and that relationship is to the church. It is often described in Scripture as a, the uh, relationship between a husband and a wife and how uh, they relate to one another. And certainly we can see uh, out of Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, that that is uh, very much the case, um, as he calls husbands to wi- uh, love their wives as Christ loves the church. And so that serves, obviously, there as, uh, not only as an example, but a prime teaching of that relationship between Christ and the church. So we come to the book of Hosea, and it should not be a surprise that God would also use the marriage of Hosea to a prostitute named Gomer, um, that uh, he would use that relationship to serve as a background uh, to describe the, his relationship to that of Israel. Um, so if you will stand with me, if you're able, Hosea chapter 1, we'll read all of uh, the, the verses of chapter 1 through verse 11. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, excuse me, through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. In other words, it'll be a supernatural delivery. Verse 8 When she had weaned no mercy, She conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. 
Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be called, said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word and what can be challenging passages and yet still have relevance for us, still call us back into relationship with you, still evidences your grace and your mercy toward your people and yet also your holiness as well as your love. Father, you are today as every day in our past and every day in our future exalted and above it all, yet you are so intricately involved in your creation, in our lives. And so, Father, because of that, I ask you to open our hearts and our minds this morning to hear your word, to be receptive to how your spirit is calling us to respond. And, Father, that if there is any unfaithfulness in us this morning, Lord, that you would call it out before us, show us, Lord, and call us back. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Friends, we are faithfully unfaithful, but God is gracious, holy, and love. We are faithfully unfaithful, but God is gracious, holy, and love. Hosea was written in a time before the fall, just before the fall of Israel. That's the northern tribes. Remember, after Solomon, the kingdom divides. Southern tribe is Judah. The northern tribes are Israel. And they'll fall to the Assyrians that will come in short order. But we need to think back for a moment. Think back to Israel's history. Comes out of that relationship with Abraham and Sarah through Isaac, then Jacob, also known as Israel, through his 12 sons, who then become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, centuries later, they are divided into these two countries. A division because of a fight over the throne. One group faithful more so than the other. This story regarding Israel that we find in Hosea, we find them in Samaria. It's the home base of the northern kingdom, the northern 12 tribes. Jeroboam has built a temple there in Samaria to keep the locals from traveling back to Jerusalem to worship there, which was the rightful place to worship. And what we find in Israel is that even though they continued to worship the Lord, God, Yahweh, the one true God, they also sought after other gods, adding to, eventually leading away from the one true God. Friends, what happens to Israel happens to us. We tend to chase after the sensual when it comes to our sinful desires. Even the serpent that appealed to Adam and Eve appealed to them in a, in a, at least once in, in the sensual desires and that Eve perceived it, saw that it looked, leading her to think that it was good to eat. The prophet here shares the word of God with Israel and it holds for us today still a very stern warning even thousands of years after it was written. So let's walk through chapter one together and what I want to help you understand is who, who the players are in this, because what this is, did Homer 
I mean, excuse me, I knew I was going to do it. Did Hosea really marry Gomer? I told the first service, I'm probably going to say Homer at some point today. I don't mean Homer, Homer Simpson. I mean Hosea, okay, because I'm going to change those letters around too much. Hosea and Gomer, did they really marry? I think that's a legitimate marriage that we're reading about. I think the children that are, that are presented here are legitimate children that are, that are part of their union. God worked through this, um, and he's going to help us work through it um, as well. So let's look at the first thing. Verse 2, there's this marriage that takes place. God tells Hosea to go and take for yourself a wife. The ESV says whoredom. The CSB, a woman of promiscuity. She's a, she's a, a prostitute. Why? Why would God do that? I mean, right? This is, a, this is the kind of gal that every man's wanting to take home to mama. Yes? No. You don't want to do that, right? But that's exactly what God tells him to do. Why? And Hosea is faithful to do it. Because God has a, a bigger picture in mind. It's this truth that it is this relationship between Hosea and Gomer that demonstrates the way Israel has been, un, been unfaithful to God. So here's how you can follow this, all right? You may want to write this out on the side in your Bible so next time you come through Hosea, you'll, you'll remember. Hosea, in this picture, this metaphor that God is presenting to us, is, is representing God himself, all right? Hosea is not God. He's just representative of that in that relationship, okay? So Hosea, the father of the children, the husband in the marriage, he's representing God, Yahweh. Then you've got Gomer. She represents the mother, the wife, Israel. That, in a bigger picture for Israel, that's her leadership, her institutions, her culture, all things Israel is represented in Gomer. And then you have the three children. This is going to represent Israel's common people, okay? Not in religious leadership, not in any kind of government structure. They're just the regular folks, farmers, mothers wanting children. Uh, people who are working hard to make a living kind of life, the people that are also wanting security and divine blessing, okay? That's what's happening. So what we find in this marriage is that Gomer is chasing after other men. She's a woman of promiscuity. She's chasing after other men who uh, are seeking some kind of satisfaction from them, seeking something outside of that relationship with Hosea. For Israel, that means that she's pursuing other gods, She's chasing after these other gods. And so Israel's leadership left Yahweh, left God, and went after Baal first, and then all the others that follow along. The people are pursuing that sensual desire, that sensual uh, temptation, that sensual worship there by chasing after Baal, and they're chasing after all the empty promises of Baal, all the empty promises of the false gods. This has been a problem for Israel all along, okay? We, when we looked at the book of Ruth, it was the empty promises of Moab and Kamash. Now we're back to Baal again. Then we have the children. The three children play an important role in this story. As much as the relationship between Hosea and Gomer is important, it's also important for us to see what's happening with the offspring. Verses 4 through 9 present these three children. And the children with their mom and dad are given names packed with meaning as given to us by the Lord. Okay, so let's first look at the, the, the young man, the firstborn. His name is going to be Jezreel. Jezreel played an important role. If you'll remember back when we walked through Ahab and Jezebel, that all happens in that place. Israel did not learn their lesson there. And God is going to visit them soon about that lesson. It was a place of bloodshed and violence. Here's what's happening. 
This is a place, and this first child is named after that location of bloodshed, sadness, and, 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 and violence. And through that, what God is saying is he's going to bring an end to that northern kingdom, which is Israel. He's going to break the bow. That means he's going to break them by military power. That which Israel is relying on, he will break them. And he uses, again, the Assyrians to accomplish that task. They're going to go into exile, which, by the way, is nothing new. He promised that all the way back with Moses in the giving of the law in the book of Deuteronomy. He told them that's what would happen. The second child is a daughter. Her name is No Mercy. God had so loved his people. God had proven it over and over and over, providing time after time after time. You remember back in the wilderness through the Exodus, they were grumbling, they were complaining, no water, no food, none of this, uh, uh, and God provided time and time again. But now the days are gone when the forgiveness and the mercy are going to be given to Israel. God says, this one is named No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. If you think back to that relationship between Gomer and Hosea and how that plays into this between God and Israel, people perhaps around them are standing back thinking, what an odd name for a child. Well, he married a prostitute. What do you expect? He's turned his back on her. That poor child. Hosea's wife is unfaithful. He he must doubt that that child is actually his. He's rejected the poor thing to call it no mercy. All the while, what Hosea is doing is exactly what the prophet Nathan did to David when David had sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. David, you are the man. And what Hosea is doing by God instructing Hosea to name this child no mercy is like Israel. You are no mercy. God is cutting off his mercy to you. Yahweh has turned his back. He has turned away. You, Israel, are the man. You are the daughter. You are no mercy. And then the third child comes along, verses 8 and 9. Not my people. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my People, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. We've read all through the Old Testament thus far how Israel, God, you are my people, and I am your God. And yet here we are in this terrifying moment when he says, I am not your God. It can be read, I am not, I am for you. If you'll remember back to Exodus, when Moses is at the bush, the burning bush, he asked God, they're going to ask me who you are. What's your name? What do I tell them? Who sent me? And he says, I am. You tell them the I am who I am. I will be who I will be. You're not going to define me by an idol. You're not going to define me by an image. You're not going to define me by any of those things. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And yet here he is saying, I am not, I am for you. In other words, his I amness is not accessible to them anymore. It's kind of like a man divorcing his wife here. He's been faithful. He's been loving. He's been gracious and merciful for so long. And it's tough to hear language like that. But listen, friends, God means what he says. 
He said it would come. And it's like they just continue on as if he's just going to let it slide one more time. But at this point, enough is enough. They've chased after other gods. They've prostituted themselves long enough. And the only thing left to do in order to bring them back is to bring the exile. These names are actually a reversal of that covenant language that we've become accustomed to. This is where God says, like in his Exodus chapter 6, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. It's a complete 180. It's terrifying. It ought to shake us at our core. Even as followers of Jesus, it ought to rattle us a little bit and shake us and make us uneasy. But then I wonder, is all hope gone? What's left for Israel? I mean, really, when a marriage is at this point, it's hard to recover. When one spouse has been unfaithful and the other has been faithful, I've often found in in my counseling experiences that couples who have gone through that or experienced infidelity, it's it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, but it's not the main reason. There are so many heart issues way back in the past that were never dealt with. The main cause of that turmoil usually comes from a deeper issue, a lack of love, a lack of uh, a lost commitment to the... To that, uh, to that spouse, the first love that we had, and the actions that we take, friends, the scripture tells us what we do and what we say comes from our heart. And so in that heart, bitterness perhaps built up for too long, just coexisted. Maybe there's been some intimacy, but it's not really felt. Forgiveness was never practiced. The hurts were built into resentment and the eyes started wandering outside. We start looking for what we thought we had, believing that there must be someone out there, something different that could give me what I want and then boom, it strikes. Unfaithfulness. God didn't do that. Israel did that. This chapter is marked by children with awful names. Names to make serious points about Israel. And even still us today. But friends, when we read verse 10, I hope you picked up on the fact that there is always a day, a future day of hope. A future day of restoration. A day of grace. Look at verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Rather than completely disowning them, God blessed them and would bless them again with a promise of increased numbers. As numerous as the sand on the seashore, he'll always keep the remnant. The remnant will always stay faithful, even through the exile. Part of that's like men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego during that time. God would use more like Nehemiah and Ezra to restore Jerusalem, to help restore the walls, start rebuilding some things that were very important to Israel. 
That all comes about because of this future day of hope. And there's this reversal that takes place when he says, you are not my people to children of the living God. When that is actually fulfilled, it's not in the rebuilding of the walls, it's not in rebuilding the temple, it's not in the return from exile, it's actually fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Still to this day, this promise is still fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That Judah and Israel would be together again in a point one head. That one head, beloved, is Jesus Christ. That they'll go up and return to Jezreel. Again, Jezreel was a place of bloodshed. Now it's going to be a place of peace and harmony and growth because of Christ Jesus. Now to chapter two. This is going to take us a little bit deeper into who Gomer was. Okay, So we have a picture of the marriage and the offspring of the marriage. Now we get a picture of Gomer. Who is Gomer? And what, what part is Gomer playing in this? Well, Gomer is here to help us understand God's holiness. God's holiness. Hosea certainly presents the love of God in his work. That'll come out again. The Bible is very clear that God is love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. right? But the Bible also states for us this very fact. This is the message we have heard from him, that is Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. All right? So God is holy, God is love. Sometimes we take God's love to an extreme in thinking that I can hide over here, staying in my sin, hide over here in God's love because he is love while I stay in my sin. That can't happen. Because why? Because God is also holy. God's holiness. God is light. In him there is no darkness. Friends, the Bible teaches that he is love, but it is a holy love. He has done something. He has sent someone to take care of that sin. Beloved, don't make the mistake that God's love is a warm, sentimental feeling that provides your sin safe harbor. He calls you to holiness. He calls me to holiness. He calls the church to holiness. He doesn't coddle sinners. There are three sins in chapter 2 that are presented to us as he works down through who Gomer is, leading us to the bigger picture of who is Israel. These three sins pull at Gomer's heart. They pull at Israel's heart and pull her away from her husband, that is God. And as she gives herself freely to her lovers, those lovers are other gods. She's chasing after, which will lead her children to do the same. The first one we find is idolatry. Warren Wiersbe called idolatry, called it just, it's just spiritual adultery. Keeping with that theme of prostitution or a woman of promiscuity, here we have idolatry, which is spiritual adultery. What is that? That they've turned aside away from God and turned to another God named Baal. Because of that, God is threatening to return them back to the very beginning. If you go um, there at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Plead with her, strive with her, uh, contend with her, uh, with your mother, that is with Israel. Plead with her, beg her, call her out, that she put away her uh, whoring from her face, from her adultery between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day that she was born. What does he say? He is saying, I'm going to take you back to the beginning. Anybody in here remember from when you were born? Do you remember that? It was exciting, wasn't it? Like warm and cozy, and then all of a sudden you're freezing cold, and you got weird people touching. I don't remember. 
None of us do, right? What does that mean? We were born naked and helpless. Fortunately, there was a nurse or someone there loving and taking care of us, and, and right? And they did all the measurements and make sure you got 10 fingers and 10 toes, one nose, and all that good stuff, right? That was good. Someone was there, but we were helpless. That's what he's saying. I'm going to take you back to the moment when you were helpless. Why is he doing that? It sounds so awful. So that she'll come back. Strip away all the things that are wrong. Take you back to the beginning. And actually, at the end of verse 3, and we'll bring this out in a minute, he said, I'm going to take you back to the parched land, the desert, and kill her with thirst. I mean, this is pretty severe judgment. Upon her children, verse 4, I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She, uh, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. It's pretty tough language. She's gone after other gods. They're no longer able to live as his wife. He's disciplining them. There's no compassion on the children. Israel had zero shame in chasing after other gods. Again, adding to the worship of Yahweh, adding to with other gods. And you'll notice there in verse 5, she's confused about who's providing what. In that spiritual idolatry, it leads to a confusion of who's providing what in our life, right? Here's what she says. I'll go after my lovers. That's other gods who give me my bread, water, wool, flax, oil, and drink. That leads to the sin of ingratitude, ungratefulness. Idolatry leads to the sin of ungratefulness, giving credit where credit is not due, giving glory to the wrong God, false worship. It's at the end there again, at the end of verse five, chasing after all of these other lovers. So he's gonna take it all back, refusing to give thanks to the Lord and worshiping and honoring him as God and provider, as Lord, Savior. That's one of the first steps to sin. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul wrote, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Don't make that mistake. And that's where you are this morning. Praise God that he can call you back, and he will call you back. The third sin is hypocrisy. So we've got idolatry leading to ingratitude or ungratefulness leading to hypocrisy. Verses 10 and following. He says, now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. We're going to show people who you really are, Gomer. We're going to show the nations who you really are, Israel. You've been going through the motions far too long. We do that as a church too. We go through the motions of worship. We go through the motions, but in our hearts, we are far from him. Jesus called out the believers in his day, or not the believers, the, the Israelites, the Jews in his day, he calls them hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied about you people. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Man, we can get there just as fast as they did. He goes on to say, in vain do they worship me, teaching false things. So you see here the Lord is taking away that blessing. He's taking away that, those necessities that Israel had enjoyed for so long by his kindness and by his grace, and yet she worshiped Baal for it and not God. But just like we encountered in chapter 1, we see it again in chapter 2, and we find there in Hosea, starting in verse 14 and following, a picture of God's love for his people. 
Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Friend, Hosea didn't turn his back on Gomer. In fact, God's going to tell him to go marry her again. Go grab her. Hosea's fighting for her. He's going to stand his ground and go after her. He's going to speak tenderly to her. Woo her back. Verse 15, there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. What is he saying here? He's saying that God is going to transform his people yet again. God says he's going to speak tenderly, speak to her heart. Beloved, when you open up your Bible and you begin to read, you are hearing from the word of God and it is speaking to your heart. He still does that for us, even when we open the word of God. That's why it's important that we're reading daily his word, studying together. Yet he expressed his desire to execute them, making them parched land. And yet here we find what? The exact opposite. I will give her vineyards. The Valley of Achor, that's an odd reference. That goes all the way back to Joshua chapter 7. After the conquest of Jericho coming into the land, Joshua marched him around. You remember that story? The walls fell down. Well, there's a man by the name of Achan. Achan did what he wasn't supposed to do. It was a very strict command, and he disobeyed it. And because he disobeyed it, he lost his life, he and his family. They were stoned to death because for their disobedience. So what was such a sad, what should have been a, a huge victory, an awesome moment, leads them to, to battle the next time and they sin and they find out Achan is totally screwed up and messed up and he sinned and it's awful. And so now God has dealt with Achan. But what was a sad moment in Israel's history, God is turning that into something that is glorious, something that is a place of hope, a door of hope. Hope is always future looking. There is a moment here where God is going to come in and rescue his people. And he promises to bring transformation. He promises to act on their behalf once again. Your homework this week is to go through verses 14 all the way to the end of chapter 2, verse 23. And underline how many times you hear a promise from God. I will allure her. I will speak tenderly to her. I will answer from the heavens. I will answer. They shall answer. The earth. Oh, man, just, I, let's see. I will sow for her. I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. I will make for them a covenant. I mean, there's several, at least 10 times. So how do we respond to this kind of a story? What does this mean for us today? Well, one, it's going to happen. That transformation happens because of Jesus Christ, which ultimately, that's where we always end up is the cross. The cross. If we don't ever end up, if we don't end up at the cross, then I've made a wrong turn somewhere. We respond by this. We must always remember that God is gracious. God is gracious and live faithfully as God's people. We always remember that God is gracious and we live faithfully as God's people. His grace calls us to live faithfully. This chapter began with judgment. Chapter 2 is the same way, and yet it ends with grace, mercy, and God's love. Those children that we read about, they help us to grasp the grace of God. The relational language throughout echoes that of the husband, wife, father, son relationship, which is so important. We need to understand how we can, we can grasp our relationship with the Lord the same way. And the prophecy that Hosea is presenting is clearly fulfilled all in Jesus Christ. And he does so, and he, he came and acted on Israel's behalf. 
You see, when he goes into exile, when Israel goes to exile, eventually Judah goes to Babylon, and that exile and, and the sacrifices and all these things, it was not enough to atone for their sins, nor ours. Only the blood of Christ upon a cross shed for us could atone for our sin, pay for our sin. And God still to this day chooses to be gracious on whomever he pleases. Hosea, go marry a prostitute. God is going to have grace and mercy upon her life. Do you know that when the gospel opened up to the Gentiles? That's us. You're either Jew or Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And God took what was undeserving in sin, no hope, and brought us in and grafted us into that relationship as well. That's why the Bible says that we are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. See what love he has lavished upon us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. As the church, we are called to and should live faithfully now as God's people. In light of his grace, we are called to faithfully walk as God's people. He made room for the church, but we too have to continually seek him. We have to continually pray that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives, that we are able in Christ to put off, to put off the selfish pride, that in Christ we are, able to, we are uh, called and able to worship and revere the one true and living God who is not a God of second places. He alone is God and should be set apart in our life for him, that there are no rivals for him or against him in our hearts. Why is that important? Because we have a tendency to drift off course. You remember the days when you used to, when you were learning how to drive? You either had, um, for me, I had driver's ed at George West in high school and it was a basketball coach Boy, he could be mean if you started drifting off course. But you don't remember what happens the first couple of times. You're driving along. You see the Texas stop sign. and Right? You start like your hands, your eyes. Your hands follow your eyes. Wherever you start looking, that's where you're going. And somebody says, hey, stay in your lane. Get back on the road. Ah! You know, and you're like, as a parent, it's terrifying. I've done it three times now. It don't, it don't, it don't change. I got a whole lot more to go. Y'all pray for me, pray for me. But you get the picture, right? Your hands follow your eyes. Man, you're about to walk out the door back into the real world, out of the safe haven of the church. And there's things out there, and you're going to be going along, and all of a sudden, and you're, you're steering off course. It's exactly what happened to Israel. Be careful, be aware. In our relationship, Sunday is that kind of day where we get to reset and God's saying, hey, stay in your lane. I've already walked this road. I'm ahead of you. But you got to stay in your lane. Keep your eyes focused. The race is marked out for you. you got to run in a manner that is worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ, of the gospel and the price that it was paid. But you got to stay on the path. Keep your eyes forward. And when Monday comes, something catches our eyes. That manner of living in holiness, at least the pursuit of holiness, is done in such a way that because of Christ Jesus' first 
amongst none other. And when we do stray off course, we remember that truth in 1 John chapter 1, that God is gracious, and when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and right to forgive us. He offers that promise of renewal and refreshing when we repent and we come back to Christ. Second thing, we must always remember that God is holy. We remember he's God, God is gracious, but we also remember that God is holy. And as such, we pursue holiness as God's people. Chapter 2 gave us that, that, uh, that point. That just as God is going to remove the blessings from Gomer or Israel for her sinfulness, the Lord can and will use the same process to bring the church back from the brink of self-destruction and closure. You don't believe me? Go read the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Five of the seven churches are in sin Five of the seven churches have walked away. They're not chasing wholeheartedly after Christ. They're not chasing after her king, after the head. And it's a warning. Two of them are following faithfully, and Christ is encouraging them to keep on going. But five of the seven are not. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth because of the way they were handling the Lord's Supper. They were not setting it apart as a holy and sacred moment that it is, but rather they were wayward in their thinking. Corrupt would be the better word for it. They were doing it in sin. They're taking it in an unmanner, unworthy manner, which Paul said would be guilty. They would be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. This is a serious moment for the church in Corinth. You better believe God will use circumstances, people, his word to bring us back when we're on the brink of discretion. What, what does that look like for us? I mean, is it possible that idolatry and ingratitude and hypocrisy have invaded the hearts of the church to a point that we are so distracted by those three things or by the promises and the, 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 the allure of, of what could be on the outside that we are distracted from the gospel ministry and disciple-making mission that God has called us to? Absolutely. It is very possible, and in many churches it's a reality. We get away from the gospel message. We, we quit hearing the gospel message. The gospel quits, is, is not preached anymore. We start preaching messages that make us feel good about ourselves. Oh, we've had many lovers, church. We've chased after many lovers. Our lovers are not the gods of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the Middle East like Baal and others. Our gods are the gods of comfort, convenience, individualism, preferences, hedonism, territorialism, my way or the highway. The gods of omission where we don't do what God has called us to do. What is it that God would remove from us? Well, that could be different from each, for each of us. But I pray that the Lord will never remove the spark and the fire that burns in Coastal Oaks Church. But if we don't press on and overcome in Christ, that's exactly what could happen. Friends, the word of God calls the church to be holy and set apart because he is holy and set apart. So let us strive together and pursue holiness as a church. Peter calls the church in, in chapter 1. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy.
Third, finally, we've got to remember that God is love. And that because he is love, we honor the great price that he has paid by returning to seek the Lord. We honor that love and that great price that he has paid when we return and we continue seeking him daily. In chapter 3, God calls Hosea to go, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. Don't have time to explain that this morning, but what I want you to see there is verse 2. He bought her for 15 shekels of silver and some other things. Hosea had to go buy her back at a great cost. Beloved, that is exactly what Christ did. When I read chapter 3, I was like, this must have been what Jesus heard from his father. Son, go buy her back again. Go buy her, and it's going to cost you your life. Not 15 shekels of silver, but it's going to cost you your life. Oh, beloved, this is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you look at verse 5 of that same chapter. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord in awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Those latter days are there with Christ. So what do we do here? We repent. That's what Israel, that's what we do. We repent. But when we do, we return for times of refreshing and renewal come from the Lord in Christ Jesus, his son. If you go to the end of the book of Hosea, chapter 14, Another homework assignment would be to read through there and underline how many times you hear that word return to the Lord. That's the call. It's what John preached. It's what Jesus preached, return to the Lord. But verse 9 is where it ends. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. And we praise God because even in our sin, Jeremiah reminded us that he has loved us, the church, with an everlasting love. And his faithfulness endures forever. So friends, let's return to the Lord.